if you could turn in your Bible, if you're staying here, to Acts chapter 9, which is on page 1102 of the Church Bibles. And we're going to be reading verses 1 to 31. So that's Acts chapter 9, page 1102 of the Church Bibles. Give you a minute to find that. Brilliant. Let's read this true story. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how he must, how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here. He has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. 
But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how... In Damascus, he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I was passing by, so I thought I would take this opportunity to see how to see you all. My name is Saul. I'm just stopping by on the way up to uh, Damascus, as you know, and I've just come up from Jerusalem. So it's very good to be here, and I do apologise for interrupting. I'm not switched on, apparently, so I shall have to keep bellowing, or keep bellowing, or do something down here until it works. We don't have this problem in the synagogue in Jerusalem. I just... I've just done that. Are you happy now? He's still got his thumbs down. I'm just going to pace up and down otherwise and bellow. This always happens. Right. Oh, that sounded a bit noisier. Excellent. Well, that's just in time because I wanted, what I wanted to do to you was to read this piece of paper that I've been uh, given here. This is an official warrant uh, from the high priest uh, for the synagogues in Damascus. So I thought I would just uh, read that to you, uh, and then we need to discuss a few things before I move on. So this is what it says. Um, To our most esteemed uh, brother in the one true faith, Saul. It's me. And to all our brothers scattered in the city of Damascus, greetings. Let it be known that by the powers vested in me as the high priest who intercedes for the nation, that our servant Saul, it's me, is empowered to remove anyone from this fellowship who claims to follow or worship the so-called Messiah, Yeshua, known to the Greeks as Jesus. Um, these followers are to be expelled, transported to Jerusalem, preferably in chains, for further interrogation and imprisonment. Um, you will be aware, this is a bit of a PS it says here, you will be aware that some of these people, such as the apostate Stephen, uh, have been killed as a result of the people's wholly understandable anger at these followers' attacks on our one true faith. Whilst this is regrettable, we will not interfere with local expressions of justice. And that's signed and sealed uh, three days ago by Annas, Caiaphas, John and Alexander, the council leaders in Jerusalem. Now, 
you may not have heard much about these Christians. You may not quite understand what all the fuss is about. So uh, let me just explain what the problem is. And we just need to make sure there are no of these so-called Christians here too. So here's the first big problem with these Christians. And that is that they simply do not keep the law. They are law breakers. They are telling people that God forgives our sin if we trust in this Jesus character. Now we know very well that to be forgiven, two things have to happen. Firstly, an animal has to be killed. There must be blood. Must be blood. Remember the Passover? I know some of you have done the training. The Passover, the blood over the door, that was a special sign for us, just for us, that we are a forgiven people. And then, of course, the important thing after that, after the shedding of blood, is we keep the law. Are you paying attention? Right. I'm going to ask you some questions in a minute. Now, God's law is a bit of a speciality of mine, as I expect you know. How many laws are there? Come on, come on. How many laws? No. One day, Wikipedia will tell you there are 613 laws that currently head up our faith. Lots more underneath that. 613 laws. This is quite worrying that you don't know that. Let me ask you another question. Um, Have a little think about this. There are 365 laws that tell us what not to do. So someone here who's doing maths, how many laws are there that tell us what to do? We start with 613. I take off 356. How many laws tell me what to do? Come on. You are a very mature-looking student. 248. Well done. Now, all these laws are important. And I do expect you to know them, so I'm going to test you on them. Right, let me have a look. I do know them, really, but I'm just checking here. Uh, (laughs) Law number 77. What is that? If you don't know, you can have a guess. The Lord will lead. Someone have a guess. Law number 77. Come on, chop, chop. Don't kill people. Hopeless. Number 77 is that we should pray every day. I do that. You can see me on the street corners most days, praying every day. Right, 125. What's law number 125? Don't eat prawns. Don't eat prawns. Now, you will understand if you knew... That there's that the earlier law is our dietary law, and eating prawns is a subset. It's a bylaw, not a law, really. 125 is to have children. Very important. I've done my bit. Now, <laughs> number 250. Where's the treasurer? Is the treasurer here? Num- law number 250. Dear me. Law 250 is you give, give charitably. Very important. Need to pay the wages. Number 601, last one. Anyone who has a guess at 601? 601 is don't live in Egypt. (laughs) Apparently you're following that one. So are you following these laws? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind? 
Do you give charity? Do you tithe everything? I admit I have failed today. I was in Costa on the way up and I picked up some salt and peppers and I haven't yet tithed the 10%. So would you mind just tearing those open for me quietly and just counting out 10% of the salt grains and the pepper grains for me, please? Um, And we'll collect the collection box at the end and uh, we will do that. Very, very important. And these Christians say that none of this stuff matters. They say all we have to do is rely on this sacrifice, the blood that came from this Jesus person, as though somehow that puts us right with God. It's obviously not that simple, as your laughter seems to imply, that you understand these laws are important that we follow them. Now here's my second big problem with these uh, Christians, um, and that is... uh, that they don't care who they talk to. They don't care who they mix with. Now, can I remind you that we are a chosen people? We are special. We are God's chosen people. We keep the faith pure. So we do not mix with riffraff. No riffraff in this building. I want to make sure that none of you have any friends outside of here. Do you have any friends outside of here? I do hope not. No friends outside this building. Don't go to school with people who aren't from here. Don't socialise with them. If anybody ever invents social media, be very careful who you're talking to. We must never change. We must just stay in our own little holy huddle. And we keep everything in their place. The high priest at the top, slightly above me, then me, then men, well done men, then women, and the occasional child. Glad to see not many here today. Uh, You see, there is an order to these things. Now, I do notice there are women here at the moment. And can I just ask why you are not up there in the gallery? Can you just perhaps get up there later on? And I just need to check something out. Who was leading earlier? You. Can you stand up? Would you? Why are you wearing a lady's clothing? It appears you have a woman leading this service. This is appalling. There are ways of doing this. Do you know the first witnesses, these so-called Jesus uh, followers claim, were women. Everybody knows they can't be witnesses. I've got here the agreed rabbinical list of unacceptable witnesses. Uh, not everybody agrees with this exact list, but I'm with this one. Uh, it says the following are not to be witnesses in a court of law. Gamblers, thieves, young people, bank managers, <laughs> people who eat in the street, and women. None of them are acceptable witnesses. But these Christians, they welcome women, they welcome slaves, and so everybody's the same. Jesus did the same. He had crooks he was meeting with. He met with the outcasts. He met with the disabled. He met with sex workers. We don't want any of that here. Finally, before I must head off to Damascus, my final comment is I have to agree to say that to some extent... My problem with these Christians and with Jesus is personal. That's because he was very rude about me and my colleagues. He was very rude about us Pharisees. He actually said that we were... 
He said we were blind. But we were blind guides. Of course it's not. Of course that's not the case. We follow the law very, very carefully. We know the scriptures very, very thoroughly. Listen to me. I studied in Tarsus. I've got the best theological uh, certificates you could have. I've got some here. I was even a member of KO under Gamaliel. Kosher only. I know my stuff. Anybody got exams coming up? Got exams coming up? If you need any help, do let me know. I do know what I'm talking about. What are you, are you doing Old Testament law? Rabbinical studies? Ritual sacrifice part one, part two? Okay, I'm not going to be much use to you. But these are very important things. Very important things. So my question to you is, what is exactly going on here? Are you keeping the law properly? Have you got that? Have you sorted that out? Can we have the collecting box down, please? <laughs> Treasurer, can you just bring the box down? Can we just bring it down? We just need to make sure we don't miss out on this 10% of salt and pepper. <laughs> These gentlemen will give it to you. Just put a, put a, can you just put a pinch in the box for it? Let's make sure we're following the laws absolutely to the penny. Excellent. Thank you very much. Are you keeping the laws properly? Are you just mixing with respectable people? Are you keeping things nice and tight and rigid, just as God ordained? And I do hope that you never, ever mention the Jesus word. Now, I have to go. Um, I'm very, very happy to continue that discussion with you, at least uh, with the men. And if anybody would like to argue with me, well, of course, they'd be very, very welcome. And I'll see you at the back afterwards. <laughs> if you've got your Bibles, we were on page uh, 1102. Um, you might want to have it open, or you might just want to listen. That's fine. I wonder whether you've got any enemies. I wonder whether you've ever, ever had any enemies. Um, my worst enemy ever was a chap called Skinner, a boy called Skinner. It was that sort of school. I never knew his first name, but at junior school, Skinner was a lot bigger than me. And he was able to sort of um, thump me, and I couldn't do much about it. His favourite thing to do at, at the break time uh, was to sit on my head, to see whether he could sit on my head for the whole of the break time. You know, quarter an hour of having Skinner sitting on my head. I didn't enjoy that very much. So Skinner was kind of my enemy. And I was small and runt-like but nasty. And I had a way of getting back at him. So what I used to do was to collect these things. Daddy long legs and spiders and things like that. And I'd collect them in a bag. And then I'd sit behind him in the lesson and I'd just tip the bag of bugs over his head in the lesson. In fact, at one point, it was a polythene bag, which I put right over his head full of bugs. Which I, just an awful thing to do, isn't it? And please don't do that at home, children, with your parents. But pretty awful thing to do. So if uh, Skinner, you're listening, I'm sorry. But, you know, if that was bad and we can laugh about that, it's nothing, is it, compared to what... Uh, Saul wanted to do uh, with Ananias. We just heard that in, in the reading. Uh, Saul was going to kill Ananias or have him 
killed and the folk like him. And he wanted to kill him simply because he loved Jesus. And yet, God sends Ananias to meet Saul. You'd have thought Ananias would say, no, I'm going to hide away. You'd sort of find, get in the cellars, run away. But God sends Ananias to meet Saul. And my question really, the first point really is, what does Ananias call Saul when he meets him? Do you see that? Verse 17, he calls him brother. It says, brother Saul. He calls his sworn enemy, the person who's come to kill him, his own family. Now, why would you do that? Why would you call the person who you hate most, who wants to do you most harm, brother? And, of course, we know from the reading what's happened, don't we? We know that Saul, on his journey, as we saw just now, he meets Jesus. And that changes everything, doesn't it? Because from that point on, Saul and Ananias are brothers. Even our our worst enemies, even the people we don't like, they are family with us. Whatever we think of them, if we all love Jesus, we are one family. And of course, Saul earlier was ranting, wasn't he? He was ranting that we need to keep ourselves pure and we don't need to mix with the raffraff and we don't want to welcome other people uh, into, our, into our family. But later on he writes, and he knows when he's become Paul, he knows that that was the wrong thing to say. He says, there are no barriers to being in God's family. He says, whatever country you come from, however rich or poor you are, whether you're a slave or a master, whatever country you're from, you can be in God's kingdom. There are no hard borders in God's kingdom. All are welcome. Now, I think right now we might add in our society, I think we find it difficult in the current discussion around gender issues, don't we? And sexual orientation. And I think especially in Brighton, there are some, some things some of us find quite difficult in that discussion. But Romans 10, Paul writes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is our family. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We repent, we turn to Christ, we call on the name of the Lord, and that's our family. So, Ananias goes out to someone who everything tells him is a dangerous person to go to, is risky, is not the right person he should be going to, but he can call him brother because that hard border's gone and Saul, who is on his way to becoming Paul, hasn't he? He's met Jesus. So that's the first thing I think we can learn from this little story. There's lots in it, isn't it? But brother Saul... He's our brother. Receive your sight. Well, of course, that's what happens, isn't it? Ananias, uh, he, he prays with Saul, and that's what happens. Saul receives his sight. 
because of course Saul was blinded, wasn't he? We saw that. Uh, he's going along, the bright light shines in. He, he meets Christ on the road, and we, it says it's something like scales. We don't really know what that was, it, what it is, but we do know Saul was blind. And it takes Ananias to come along to him. And we know the words he says because Paul recalls it later on when he's talking about this incident. And he says, Ananias said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. So there's something else we can see there, isn't it? And that is that all Saul had to do was receive. Now I have here some Percy pigs. These are not something that Saul would have had with him. At least not until after his Damascus Road experience. So there we are. We have some Percy pigs. Now these Percy pigs cost me, actually they cost Judith, uh, two or three pounds. There was an exchange needed, wasn't there? I had to part with three pounds if I wanted to enjoy uh, these Percy pigs. I wasn't entitled to them until I paid the price for them. And Saul thought God was a bit like that, didn't he? He thought, I've got to do something if God's going to be kind to me. I've got to do something if God's going to save me. I've got to do something if God's going to carry on blessing me. And of course, he's wrong. That's why he was so fussed about the laws. How many laws were there? 613. Maybe dodgy number. It is Wikipedia. A lot of laws. But from Saul's point of view, you followed all of those if you wanted to receive kindness from God. But of course, God just doesn't work like that, did he? It was like Saul receiving his sight. He did nothing. He didn't have to do anything to get his sight back. He simply received it. Um, we're going to have a visual aid. Who would like a Percy pig? <laughs> of course, I've blown it by saying you're putting your hands up. But you know what I mean. You haven't got to do anything to have a Percy pig. All you've got to do is receive it. It's very simple. Okay, we're going to, you, you sort them out. There's three there. You have to, who else wanted a Percy pig? There was some over there. Sam, Percy pig coming over. Anybody else, Percy pig? Oh, goodness me. Anybody else want to receive a Percy pig? John wants a Percy pig. Excellent. They are nut free, I think it says. Oh, well done. Percy pig, someone help if I miss. Anybody else want to receive a Percy pig? Percy pig free zone. One Percy pig. Anybody else for a Percy pig? Oh, go on then. You see, the older you are, the more difficult you find it is to receive. Do you notice that? You know, the youngsters don't have a problem at all. But the older you get, the less comfortable you are just about receiving. There we are. Daniel Chaplis has just received a whole lot more blessing. It's great stuff. Didn't have to do anything, did you? You just received. And that's what Saul does, isn't he? He just receives. He receives his sight. And we receive God's blessing. We receive our salvation simply by receiving it. And I do think as we get older, maybe this is something for youngsters to look out for, but as we get older, we still need to remember that, don't we? Very, very easy to think, well, if I just pray a bit harder, then God will answer me. That's, that's not how prayer works. It's easy to think, if only I have my quiet time every day for at least half an hour, then God somehow will bless me. That's not how God works. There are no bargaining with God. These are good things to do. Those laws that Paul was following earlier, or Saul was following, they were good laws, weren't they? Pray every day, good things to do. Give, good things to do. 
But there's no difference now as it was then. That does not affect God's blessing upon us. It changes us. Those things will change us. But they don't change God. And sometimes we need to remember that for ourselves. Nothing we do will change God's loving kindness to us. I paid the price for those Percy pigs uh, so that you could have them free. And we know that God paid the price for our rebellion against him with Jesus on the cross so that we can receive his salvation freely. And that's a great thing. That's what Saul's doing really in this picture. He's receiving his sight completely free. So, gift was free. We've learned it's for everybody. Now, what about this one? Now, excuse me. Any rules are just disrupting my microphone. It's all right. There we go. There we are. It's a bit of visual aid with a difference. Now, anybody see this in the news today? This week? Anybody know what this has got to do with Saul? Just, Dennis, you're looking a bit smelly. We'll give you a quick shot. There we are. Get a little scent of... Do you use links? Yeah. Ah, which one? Africa. Ah, spot on. Come on in. <laughs> you? You're going to duck it, aren't you? Very wise. So, this is Africa. Did you see that amazing story in the news this week of the, uh, the boy who had... He'd fallen into a river, hadn't he? And he'd, uh, he'd... I don't know whether he'd drowned or whether it was a cold, but one way or another, he'd gone into a deep, deep coma. And uh, the parents were being prepared for the worst. And they said, um, come in uh, and perhaps put some of his clothes on him that he hasn't worn for a while and just freshen him up. So they came in and they did that and they brought in his favourite deodorant, which was Lynx. Uh, and as they gave him a little spray of Lynx, his eyes suddenly opened. And he could see. And he came back to life. Uh, and of course, Lynx, what fantastic advertising for Lynx. Fantastic. <laughs> And they say there's a medical reason for it. It was something to do with triggering a memory or something. But nonetheless, with links, this boy opened his eyes and he saw again. Well, what was it with Paul? Paul saw again. How did he see again? It wasn't with links, was it? But it, notice what the passage says. It says he received the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he began to see properly. Then he began to see through God's eyes. And it started for him with seeing who Jesus was. And then he goes on in life and he goes on uh, through many years, a study as well. And the Spirit helps him to see. It was a very dramatic moment when he first saw, but the Holy Spirit is in Paul's life continuing to help him to see what is God's will, and to see who God really is. We sang earlier the uh, Amazing Grace uh, by John Newton. Uh, we've had those extra lines about my chains fell off. John Newton, of course, very famous as a really nasty character, a vicious brute of a man. And in the what, early 1700s, very involved with the slave trade, horrible trade, treating people brutally. And then one day he comes to faith, he becomes a Christian in a storm. And you know what changed in John Newton's life straight away? First thing he did, involved in the slave trade, the first thing he did was he stopped paying bribes 
to get his slaves into the ports. You would think the first thing he'd do was walk away from the slave trade, but it wasn't. The first thing that touched him was, oh, I ought to stop paying bribes. Seems extraordinary, doesn't it, now, to us now? The Holy Spirit works through our lives, but we don't change everything completely. For Saul, he had this huge moment, and then he carries on seeing with the help of the Holy Spirit, just as John Newton did. And ten years later, John Newton was to make that big change, and he would look back with deep shame on how he behaved over those years, and even the years since he turned to Christ. But the Holy Spirit continues to work in our lives, just as it would did in John Newton's life, to help us to see. And the same is for us. We should find ourselves continually being prompted. Say, are we seeing things with the Holy Spirit's eyes, or are we just accepting the world's view of things? For ten years, John Newton accepted the world's view of slavery. And he should have been challenging that. And there will be things that the world sees that are fine. But there are things too where we need to be careful and say, are we just taking on how the world sees things? And that's why for Paul, the Holy Spirit comes and helps him see. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. And of course, we need the Holy Spirit to help us read scripture. Saul earlier knew the Bible inside out. He probably could have recited the whole of the Old Testament to you. He would have known it like that. But he didn't really understand it, did he? At the 8 o'clock service, we read Psalm 119 that says the Bible uh, is like a torch showing us the path. It's like a lamp to my feet. The Bible shows us the way, but we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to help us and continually guide us as we read the Bible, that God will speak to us through it. So there we are, three things to remember. Brother Saul, everybody is welcome in our family, in our church family, in the Christian family. Everybody is welcome who turns to God. We don't do anything to earn God's favor. We receive it freely, like a free pepper pig. And we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. We ask the Holy Spirit as we read God's word to give us that sight. Let me just pray as we finish. Then I hand back to Judith. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for brother Saul and what you did in his life. Help us to share the good news of Jesus with everybody. Help us always simply to remember that you are a loving father who just wants to be kind to us. And may your Holy Spirit always be our guide. Amen.